back to Midwretched. You are just taking the intros now. Uh, I've done two of them so far. <laughs> you have done two. That seems like that feels like a lot. So welcome back to Midwretched, friends. I'm here too. Yay. Hi. Aw, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It. Uh, we went to the park today because it was above 40. And I have just been reflecting a lot about like how different 40 degrees feels in <laughs> November versus March. Like that I think first about that 40 a lot. degree day. Yeah, like in the fall, it's just like, what is happening? I'm so angry. And then in March, it's like, we're out like t-shirts. People we're driving by, people are doing all these cookouts and stuff. And but yeah, we were at the park for like several hours getting my child to gradually become brave enough to go down the side by herself. <laughs> Which shouldn't be a there. big deal. Yeah. Well, she finally did get there at the end. So and then she went up and down about, like, I don't know, even know, 40 times. Like, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Once you get over that hump, you kind of never come back. Yeah, she just doesn't have a ton of physical confidence. But once she had it, she was just good to go. So, so yeah, we're good over here. I, um, I was going to tell you about, because you and I talk a lot about my underwear saga. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, like, never happy with underwear. Uh, so I've always liked MeUndies, which... I know advertise a lot of podcasts, and I promise this is not an advertisement. But but we out there, but hey, meandies. Yeah, we hey. totally will do it because I love you. Um, <laughs> I always liked their hipsters, but lately I've been like, I I don't understand why it is so hard to have a body in this world. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't have any way, shape, or form an unusual body shape. I think it's pretty banging. Thank you. The problem is that I got a booty that don't quit, mm-hmm. and I do a lot of squats, and underwear are not, they're just not covering the whole situation anymore. Yeah. And it's frustrating. So I bought a whole bunch of their, like, boxers, mm-hmm. and they are so nice. Really? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. In a I-don't-want-to-do-laundry emergency? Slash not a real emergency, but hey, first world problems. Yes. I bought some at Target, and I forgot exactly how tiny Target panties are. Oh my and gosh, no. They're basically so useless. They're so small. Yeah, I hate oh. them so much. So I'm like, now I'm just vibing in these like cotton modal boxer brief little situations, and they're very cute also. Oh. And there's one oh. with sloths on it that reminded me of, of your... <laughs> Of my man. He loves slots. That'll be my lingerie for him. Okay. (laughs) Perfect. So, you know, just a a plug for those, even though we're not collecting any advertising. But if MeUndies wants to send us advertising money, we won't say no. Yeah, we're totally there. We're totally there. Also, I have a shout out. Yeah? Because we have an amazing listener named Katie. Aww. who um, made my little girl a space dress. Oh, that's so cute. Now my little spooky baby has a beautiful space dress. And so thank you, Katie. We just appreciate you and we're glad you're listening. And it's just so kind. And oh, I just love it so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Cutest, sweetest thing ever. Yeah. I, I love just... your little space spooky baby. And I love I your fans. And... Same. And it was so funny explaining to her like what was happening <laughs> Like, I showed her a picture of it, and she's like, I said, somebody made that for you. And she said, who? And I said, one of Mommy's fans. <laughs> and then I felt like 
kind of a tool. And she's like looking around the room, points to my space heater, and she's like, silly mommy. So cute. God, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it was so cute. But yeah, I'm just like, oh, I'm just so touched. Like that really just touched my heart. So really sweet. I'm grateful. I yeah. uh, made my sisters argue about who I love more. I know. I so saw that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was the highlight of my week. I love that. That's that's what Midwretched does. It um, tears families apart. I mean, yeah, it really does. I'm I'm pretty excited about tearing my family. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I love all my nibblings equal. And, oh, I'm half vaccinated. Yay! Is your tail coming in now? It is. It's like a little nub, but it's really cute. Okay, do you have the, the side-to-side eyelids too? Those are my favorite. I'm working on it. I'm really working on it. I have been getting, like, weird, um, like, radio interception. Yeah, you'll get used to that. And I'm even more of, like, a sun whore than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, if there's a hot surface, I have to be on it. So I'm pretty sure the other lizard characteristics will start popping in soon. You know what? It's funny that you say that, though, because when I got the second shot, I had, like, just fever and chills the next day. When I get a fever, I get really bad allodynia. So, like, everything, just my skin hurts. Oh, gosh. What's allodynia? It's when, like, normal things that aren't supposed to hurt hurt. Like, oh. your leg brushing under a blanket. Oh, God. Like, I always get it in my shoulders, so, like, if I'm wearing, like, a sweatshirt or a hoodie, it's just, like... Oh, gosh, that sounds terrible. But the best way to deal with it for me is to put, like, an excessively hot heating pad on it. Mm, yeah. That <laughs> so, nice. you know, those those lizard traits. Yeah, glorious. And then I get my second vaccine soon, and then I'll be done. And then you can come visit me. Yeah. And I took the day off after for the day after we get it. Because yeah, I saw what you went through, and I was like, mm, yeah. not trying to do that in a classroom. It was legit, guys. It was 24 hours, and then I was back to, like, normal self. So we that's good. The first dose, that's how I was. Like, the that night, I crashed out really early, mm-hmm. and then the, and I felt awful. I had, like, a headache, and the next day, I felt, like, the best I'd felt in months. <laughs> Literally. And I, I think probably it was the emotional relief. Like, I definitely mm-hmm. kind of teared up when the girl was immunizing me. Yeah. But so I think probably and then I had a panic attack. So I think probably there was just a lot of like exhaustion there. But then the next day I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I was thinking about you and your fear of needles. So, yeah, it was bad. It was definitely bad. And uh, the school, my school district, like hosted a vaccination clinic because Mm Indiana is terrible. But the federal government is finally functional and uh, forced the federal vaccine program to prioritize teachers, even though our governor has been quoted by reliable sources to say that it pissed him off. Well, teachers were, yeah. Well, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so that's just great. And I'm vaccinated and I'm really excited about this story. And I'm excited that we're getting some response for our giveaway. So please don't forget to do that, people. Give away. Give away. That's right. Make us spend our money on you. Merch and stickers and a tumbler and. Cool shit. Our logo is really cool. Like, shout out to Paco who made that for us. It is. It's really awesome. Good. Yeah. And also just note when she says Tumblr, she means thermos. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know. We don't have a transition, but I know that you're taking me home and I am desperately homesick and I've been searching for Airbnbs all day. 
Okay. Because I want to go home after I'm fully immunized to visit my fully immunized mother. All that to say, tell me about Dearborn Heights, Michigan again. So yes, today we are going back to Dearborn Heights and back to Detroit. Yeah. Last time that we visited Dearborn Heights was with John Eric Armstrong, wasn't it? Correct? Yep. Yeah. We're going to see like kind of the other side of Dearborn Heights. Little family yeah. communities, little kind of mm-hmm. cute little houses and families all living in harmony together. Yeah, for sure. So this is kind of a wonky story because a lot of it seems to happen really fast and mm. kind of happen out of nowhere. Mm. So if you feel like things are happening out of nowhere, how did my dog get in here? He's a good boy. He is a good um, boy. But yeah, if you feel like things are happening really suddenly, it's because they do. Mm. So we're going to start our story actually in Detroit in 1991 in Detroit in the home of Tanya Clayton and Gregory Green. Mm-hmm. Tanya was 23 at the time and Gregory was 25. The two lived together in a house on Quail Street. Tanya had two children from a previous relationship, Danielle and Bridget. Both of them were pretty little. I don't know their exact ages, but they were both under five. Oh, cute names. I know. I love the name Bridget. Me too. I actually had a dream about having a daughter named Bridget. Ooh. Yeah. I like it. Tanya's Bridget was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, Mm. meaning that she took a lot of extra care and a lot of extra support, especially early in life and those kind of like really early formative years. Mm -hmm. It was actually kind of unclear if Bridget was Gregory's child or if it was from Tanya's previous relationship. Oh, okay. So she was the younger of the two. Yeah. Bridget was the younger of the two. Got it. And at the time of our story here in 1991, Tanya was also six months pregnant with her and Gregory's child. Oh, wow. And really kind of from the outset, the two seemed like a really great family, just kind of an outsider's perspective. They seemed to get along really well. They seemed to just kind of just be trudging through, living a happy kind of normal family life. Yeah, it sounds legit. It sounds pretty legit, right? Kind of young family, a couple of kids, you know, just going on through. Yeah. Now, Tanya's friend, Marilyn, who was a friend from way back, the two knew each other really well. They hung out. They talked quite a lot. They were out one day kind of having a couple of drinks, chatting, and Tanya confided in Marilyn that Gregory had suddenly started acting really strange. Mm. She said she wasn't sure... Did he start using drugs? Was it stress from work? She didn't know what was going on, but that he had suddenly started becoming more aggressive, more erratic, and that the two in their relationship were starting to have a lot of struggles. Mm. Do we know what he was doing for work? No. Mm. This, especially for this first kind of chunk of time that we're going to talk about, we don't have much information at all. Mm. I'm going to go into it, but... Suffice it to say that we're missing a lot of the pieces along the way here. Got it. Okay. So Tanya said that whatever's going on, Gregory just switched and changed on her. His personality was completely different suddenly than the guy that she met and moved in with. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. 
especially when you can't identify a trigger you don't know what's going on yeah and if you feel like you're the brunt of something and you don't know why or what I mean it, it must be like walking on eggshells in the extreme to live like that and kind of to walk into your house and not know what to expect that day it's terrifying it's awful yeah with a high needs baby too yeah exactly um so Marilyn was just kind of there to be a friend what do you need whatever you do need I'm here for it she offered advice support whatever she needed Mm. but Tanya kind of went home and she said you know what I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna think about it okay all right again also perfectly pretty reasonable kind of thought yeah totally until the night of July 14th, 1991, the unimaginable mm-hmm. happened. Oh, no. Now, we will never know completely what happened that night. But again, it feels as if it came on really suddenly. Yeah. Late the night of July 14th, Gregory Green calls 911 requesting police service come to his house. Mm. He said he just killed his 30 weeks pregnant girlfriend, Tanya. He said that on the phone? He said that on the phone. Wow. When police come to his house, he meets them outside. He says, I stabbed her. She's in the kitchen. (gasps) Do we have the audio for that? I wish. Yeah, because like, you could say that in a whole bunch of different ways, but Mm -hmm. was it described as like, pretty matter of fact? Pretty matter of fact. Wow. That's really, really jarring. It's really, really jarring. It said that he then walked with police into the home, walked police to the body of Tanya, where she was stabbed 10 times in the neck, chest, face, and back, and a final stab wound in the abdomen. Oh, God. That's so terrible. That's so brutal. It's so fucking brutal. It's so just... Excessive. Personal and yeah, excessive. Yeah. Jeez. He then shows police to where he hid the knife in the refrigerator. Mm. Tanya is rushed to the hospital, but both she and the fetus that she was carrying died that night. Oh gosh. How sad. Gregory is arrested, is taken in and arrested. Where are the little girls? They would find Tanya's oldest daughter, Danielle, hiding in a closet. I don't know where they found Bridget, the younger girl, um, but she was eventually later found safe in the home. Okay, so they survived. The little girl survived, yeah. Okay. Again, we don't know what happened to these girls. I'm guessing they were taken in by family, but I hope that they're living their life and... Yeah, me too. Wow, they'd be our age, so... I know, that's crazy. They're doing well out there. Right? Uh, sadly, there wasn't too much news coverage of this incident. Mm-mm. It was just kind of in the newspapers as just another domestic violence incident. And that's so sad that, I mean, it's just going to be treated like just another domestic, like no attention to it. We don't put that kind of stuff in a whole lot of media unless it's like a high profile person, which is also, you know, tends to be racist and classist and all kinds of ists so it's just it's frustrating to me that we don't hear about those cases because they are way more common than we would want to think that they are 
I was thinking about that because I was also I was listening to the prosecutors episodes on the Scott Peterson case. Oh, I love them. Hi, Brett and Alice. Hi. Want to collab? Anyway, you were listening to their episode about Scott Peterson. So I was listening to their episode about Scott Peterson, which it is a very similar setup Mm -hmm. where they were dating and he, I don't know what Scott Peterson did. That's an, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, that's an open question because I don't think that he got a fair trial. Um, No, he didn't. No. But the same kind of incident of domestic violence and the killing of a pregnant woman Mm-hmm. Not to put too fine a point on it, but like we all know in America that pretty much everything is racist and there's a very big difference in the treatment of, you know, uh, a black family in Detroit and a white family in Modesto, California. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, there's just going to be a big, big schism between how two otherwise like very similar cases would be pursued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that like we don't even know the name of the fetus, if if they had a name for it, mm-hmm. like would we would that have even been in the newspapers? Whereas everyone yeah. knows Lacey Peterson's little boy Connor, you know. Yeah. Mm. And like there wasn't even much follow up with the family or anything like that. I mean, part of it is likely because he did admit to it right away. He was arrested yeah. right away. Yeah. But again, it was just kind of chalked up to this is just another domestic violence incident. Yeah. Friends and family mourned. The family were rehomed and people kind of moved on with their lives without this making kind of big waves or garnering much attention. Mm-hmm. Gregory Green would initially try to plead insanity, but that it really quickly kind of went nowhere. Yeah. It was ruled out. He was sentenced to 15 to 25 years in prison. By early 1992 was his sentencing date. Okay. 1992 plus 15 is math years. <laughs> well, so 2007 to 2017 would be his release range is what I'm getting his at. His release range, yeah. Got yeah. it, okay. So, now Gregory Green diligently served his time out in prison. Mm. He initially struggled with thoughts of suicide. Um, he spoke to his mother over the prison phone about this. We have some documentation that she made a comment of it when he would talk to her about like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Mm. And I just, I don't know what to make of this. I don't want to see your thoughts. She would say when he would talk about this, two wrongs make don't make a right. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And his mom's an interesting person. Do we get to hear more about her? A little bit. But again, everything in this case, you're only going to get bits and pieces and snippets of Mm, that's interesting two wrongs don't make a right so don't do it Mm -hmm. so i guess like that implies that his thinking is like you know if he dies then it kind of cancels out having killed his girlfriend like at least that's what his mom is interpreting it as yeah which makes me wonder like was he talking to her from like a place of guilt or um or was he talking to her from a place of just desolation? Like, that's two different things, you know? Exactly, exactly. He did make one attempt at suicide, um, but after treatment, he seemed to improve in his mental health. He settled into kind of the prison life. He completed a number of different rehabilitation and psychoeducation programs in prison. Great. And remember, he was still pretty young. He was about 25, 26 at the time that he was sentenced. Mm-hmm. 
he was reportedly a model prisoner. He had only one seemingly pretty minor fight his time in prison. There was a fight over the TV. Oh, yeah, sounds pretty typical. And during his time in prison, he returned to his roots in the Christian church Hmm. um, while doing his time in prison. He befriended or re-befriended, I'm not quite sure based on different reports, Pastor Fred Harris of the New Risen Christ Ministries International in Detroit. Interesting. Okay. So Fred Harris was a pastor in Detroit. It seems possible that he knew Gregory Green before his time in prison. Mm. But then there are some reports that he met him in prison. So that's interesting. Now, I want to take kind of an aside to talk about Fred Harris. And you'll find out why I think this is important later. Please do. So Fred Harris himself is really interesting. He came up on the East Coast. Um, near New Haven, Connecticut. Oh, pretty. He himself had a history of substance abuse and addiction. Hmm. That was really in his young days. And as he kind of grew up, he matured, he became closer to the church and more active in politics. He went on to have, obviously, a really successful career as a pastor. He not only wrote a book and worked in the church, he made a name for himself in the civil rights movement. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. Like, he actually did some really interesting work in his time. His kind of gospel, what he preached, was all really about forgiveness, second chances, redemption. He really believed Mm -hmm. in kind of preaching for redemption, especially in the black community, when it comes to addressing issues of systemic neglect, a lack of education, a lack of Mm -hmm. career opportunities. And really talking about like a racist justice system and the absence of opportunities for those coming out of prison. That's fantastic. I love that. He sounds like he really believed in what he preached. Yeah. And so he did a lot of prison work and he did a lot of outreach work. Mm, Which is why it's unclear kind of where he... Where he kind of came into this. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, he really advocated for residential programs for men coming out of prison that would give them opportunities to redeem themselves, find absolution. I'm not a religious person, but all of the political side of this, I'm 100% behind. Yeah, totally. And there's definitely like nothing wrong with that. Finding the spirituality in it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm with that. I'm a Mm -hmm. spiritual person. I love it. Fred and his ministries would actually kind of preach around the world, everywhere from London to Ghana, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Ireland. Mm. Like, he was legit. That's awesome. So while Gregory Green was in prison, Fred Harris worked pretty closely with him. Mm, Okay. They spoke while he was in prison, and Fred Harris would actually reach out several times when he would come up for parole. Like he would speak to the... The yes. Court? Yeah, he would okay. write several multiple letters and speak up for Gregory Green and his redemption. I love that advocacy. I love it. You're not going to like I it. don't love Gregory Green. I'm making that I clear. Know. Yes. <laughs> I'm making that very clear. Yes. So Gregory Green had two parole hearings in 2004 and another two in 2006. All of them were denied. During these appeals, Fred Harris, as well as Gregory Green's mother, her name was Tommy. Oh, hey, that's my name. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, they would write letters in support of his release. 
Tommy Green wrote multiple times at his initial hearing and later at each parole, stating that that Gregory Green wasn't a criminal, he wasn't a violent person, that he was provoked to act the way that he did. Was Gregory Green while ever in prison, did he speak about what he did with Tanya? That was actually part of the problem with him getting parole. Okay. So I'm going to read from the parole board and their um, final decision in 2006. Okay. They said, he still can't explain his murderous rage. Oddly, he did not utter a word of empathy or remorse. Mm -hmm. Considering the brutality of the fatal crime, Green needs to enhance his insight, empathy, and remorse. Yes. Yes, Yes, he does. However, his mother, Tommy Green, said he didn't deserve a long sentence because it did no good in changing him. What? Yeah. It did no good in changing him. A long prison sentence wouldn't change him, so why keep him in there? That is... Wow. That's really exploding my brain. Right? Yeah. Right? Like Like I said, I only have small bits and quotes of... Yeah, and like not a whole lot of context, but like Mm -hmm. without context, that's like a very... I don't know, it's very like... It's futile, right? It's like, well, he's shit either way, so we may as well let him <laughs> out. Like, you can't help him, so, uh, like, <laughs> let me take him home. I don't. Or what sticks to me is when she says that he was provoked to act the way that he did. That yeah. it's not his fault, that it's Tanya's fault. Right, which is pretty classic. Like, mm-hmm. you know, blame the abused, not the abuser. Exactly. Yeah. So, obviously, the things that the parole board are looking for... He's not showing them. He is not showing them. They want the remorse. They want him to say, yes, I take responsibility for this. However, some of the other things that they look for in more practical terms Mm -hmm. are connections to the community, Mm -hmm. a guaranteed place to stay, potential for employment, Mm -hmm. yep, employability... And then the taking responsibility for the crime. Right. So if he has three out of four. Which is basically what the parole board said in 2008. Hmm. Okay. So despite the fact that Green repeatedly put blame on others and avoided responsibility, reflecting no empathy, no regret. (laughs) The closest he ever did get was he blamed the fact that he was immature at the time of the crime. Weird. Okay. So are we getting so well uh I just feel like we're getting whatever we get from him just hints at this like extreme narcissism for me. Like Yeah. It's this like I'm untouchable or like I you know, I didn't I'm not responsible for this even though I did it. It's a narcissism and it's like a very it's a very kind of like antisocial idea of like well, we'll get into this part later. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Green comes up for parole in 2008. Mm. Fred Harris once again wrote a very strong letter in support of Green's case. And this time, for whatever reason, apparently three out of four ain't bad, mm. um, the Michigan Department of Corrections released him. Okay. 
there was a member of the Michigan Department of Corrections that also spoke on his behalf who said that Green was not a criminal, that he could be a productive member of society, and that he, quote, learned the value of good behavior. Not something you want to tell to a narcissist, right? No, you really don't. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. And we also have, like, nothing that indicates to us that he learned anything. Like, he anything. completed some coursework, but it's just unusual that he had nothing to say, like, this entire time. You can fake a CBT course. You can yeah. fake it. Oh, you totally. I'm sure you can. Yeah. 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 Especially somebody that's vaguely intelligent. Yeah. It's my problem with a lot of DD courses and anger management courses. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, like, you can tell all the time, like, I don't know. I'm really good at test taking. Even if you give me a test and a topic I don't know anything about, I'm probably going to do okay. So Fred Harris stated that Gregory was a broken man and had learned from his actions. Mm. That he had noticed growth and maturity in Gregory Green. And that... Mm. He would welcome back Green into his church, and he offered the support of his church community. Okay. Which, that's very appealing if you're the DOC. Yeah. Exactly. And at least, like, you know, if you're hyper-involved in a church, it means there's eyes on you, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the time. So. Mm -hmm. So, parole boards in Michigan consist of three members, and a vote of two out of three will, will grant parole. So his 2008 hearing, when the first two parole board members voted for release, the third one didn't even have to enter a vote onto the record. Mm, That's interesting. Yeah, I thought that interesting, too. I was like, even just like for formality's sake, you don't have to. I wonder if you can, and then you can just like choose to abstain. And if you abstain, it's like lunch doesn't have to be that awkward that day at the water cooler like (laughs) but yeah there's only two votes entered into his uh final parole interesting yeah they said that reasonable assurance exists that the prisoner will not become a menace to society or to public safety Mm. his terms of parole included abstaining from alcohol and abiding by a curfew Mm. again i'm gonna remind you he was still not expressing responsibility or remorse And while it's hard for me to imagine that this isn't just expected in some Mm. way. Or that he would at least fake it. Well, you would have mentioned it if he had had a record. Yeah, I would have mentioned it. There's no known record for this. Yeah. Now, also keep in mind that the Michigan Department of Corrections pointed out that he would have been released in 2012 anyway. Right. Because his sentence would have expired due to all of the time taken off for good behavior. Hmm. Okay. So he would have only had four more years on his sentence. Got it. Okay. So he was out in 2008. He's out in 2008. Okay. He moves to a small home in Dearborn Heights, Michigan. Uh, Hey, how far was he from you? Oh my gosh. Let's just Google Maps it. It was on hip. It was on hip. Yeah. I wonder if you ever ran into him. That's a little frightening. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, two miles. Jesus. That's, That's scary. scary. Yeah, he... Um, I know that he lived right next to um, 
not the church that we belonged to, but the church that we often went to mass at because they put on better masses than the one that we belonged to. <laughs> Why didn't you just join the other one then? I, you're going to have to ask my mom, but they didn't have a very vibrant youth group. I think that's probably why, but they did have better masses. Okay. Okay, so, fine. Yeah. Anyway. So right by good old St. Sebastian Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Shout out St. Sebastian. Shout out St. Sebastian. So yeah. So Gregory Green settles into his little house on Hip Street, just two miles mm-hmm. from Tommy. Cute neighborhood. It's a really cute neighborhood. Cute. Really cute. Um, and apparently he blended into his community just fine. Mm. It's definitely the right side of the tracks, I'll tell you that. Like That's the thing. Like I know that like last time when we talked about John Eric Armstrong, little little seedier side of things. Um mm-hmm. this is not that side of Dearborn. No, it's not. This is like like we went to church there, but we deaf did not live on that side of town. <laughs> like at all. <laughs> like at all <laughs> he also somehow managed to land a job at detroit metropolitan airport ah okay yeah so he was hmm. doing you know past security checks somehow yeah uh, Interesting. now there's gonna be a bunch of questions about this next part hmm. i don't have answers to them okay in 2010 gregory green marries faith harris Harris. Daughter of Pastor Fred Harris. Oh, come on. Yes. Do you think that he, like, did Fred set him up with his daughter? I have no idea, and the family has not spoken about it. That's so interesting. Some, and here's, everybody has an opinion on this. Everybody has an opinion, like, all the community members that spoke, friends and family and all of that. They would say there's no way Faith would have married him, that she never would have even dated him if she knew about his history. Mm. Some people say there's no way she couldn't have known because Fred Harris's wife, so Faith, Faith's mother, also worked in the church. Mm. So I find it hard to believe that she didn't know, but also it's possible. I don't know. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not going to change anything moving forward. Okay. That's interesting, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, think, like, church communities are small. Like, it, it feels like a small world, even in, like, a big, you know, hugely expansive urban area. And if you're dying of curiosity about Dearborn Heights and you haven't listened to John Eric Armstrong, go back and listen to that episode. Um, but I feel like even in, like, a huge area, mm-hmm. like, churches are so linked together in so many mm-hmm. ways, like... And this seems like a very community-active, vibrant church that, like, did a lot of that community work. Mm. So I think also just knowing Fred's history and what I assume is the culture of the family, Mm. that there's also a big culture of forgiveness and there's a big culture of redemption in the family. And Yeah, which is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And I think that it's so hard once we talk about what happens here, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to kind of mesh those two things. Yeah. So more importantly, let's talk about Faith. Yes. And how she is a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. Super strong. So awesome. She has two children from a previous marriage. 
know. Her older son, Chadney Jr., named after his father, mm-hmm. and daughter, Kara. She was also super active in the church. She worked. She had. She raised her kids. She was an awesome, super duper strong woman. She met Gregory Green. I don't exactly know when, but they married in 2010. Mm. So that was two years after his release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, are her kids adult children or like? Because he's by now he's like in his forties. Yeah. So. Yeah, she's his age. She might have had teenagers or. So in 2010, Chadney would have been about 12 and Kara would have been about 10 or 11. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So they were a little bit older. doing on the spot math, doesn't it? Mm, I still did it. Yeah, you did. (laughs) So Gregory and Faith would marry in 2010. They would then have two daughters, Koi, in 2011 and Kaylee in 2012. I love the name Koi. That is cute. Oh my god. These two little girls are cute as a friggin' button. I can't even handle it. You need to look. I'm going to show you a picture of this like perfect happy family. Aw, show me. Hold on. Look how cute as a button they are. Aww. Like, that is a beautiful family. Yeah, they are. Those little girls are so cute. Uh, is that Gregory Green in the middle there? No, that's Chadney. Oh, wow. He looks very mature. Mm-hmm. Where's um, Where's Gregory Green? Mm-hmm. Look at those ugly dresses being advertised to you. <laughs> Look at those girls. Aw, <laughs> the smiles. So cute. So Faith was also described as a very, very private person. Mm-hmm. Um, she really like to maintain kind of that look that very composed contemplative mm-hmm. you know and you can tell from the pictures she really totally does can. just exude yeah. that cool calm collected oh, i'm so jealous of that look I know. <laughs> her friends said that she just she never was one to complain or express any stress or concerns especially not about her marriage mm. Um, some sources would say, and I was listening to another podcast that was also really good. Um, it's called You Did What? It's another true crime mm. podcast, and it's done by social workers. Ooh, fun. Yeah. Um, so I guess they were able to find, and I couldn't find it in my research, that there were some kind of informal reports of domestic violence, mm. um, but no kind of police records or anything like that. Like, it's possible that the police were called, but no reports were filed. Gotcha. Or it was like mentioned to a friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. And that there was just no follow through. Mm, that's scary too. Yeah. We do know that Faith filed for divorce from Gregory in 2013. Oh, wow. Okay. So that did not last very long. Well, she then withdrew it. Oh. It was never kind of followed up on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At some point between 2013 and 2016, and I couldn't get an exact date on this, Faith did apply for a personal protection order against Green. Mm. She also cited this increasingly erratic behavior. In her filing, she told the judge, he's trying to make me leave our home. 
We're filing for divorce. He's being belligerent, kicking things. He kicked the couch while the baby was sleeping on it. Just kicking things, threatening me and saying, if I don't leave, things are going to get ugly. He jumped at me like he was going to attack. And this went on for hours. Wow, that's terrifying. Now, it it's absolutely terrifying. But the order was denied for insufficient evidence. Oh, no. When you file for a personal protection order, it's, mm-hmm. it's on you to provide the evidence that yeah. it's needed. Now, interestingly, in this filing, there was no mention of Green's previous criminal history. Interesting. It's largely believed that if that was included, it probably would have been granted. That kind of supports the idea that Faith didn't know that it existed. I, that's kind of my thinking on it, but let me throw another wrench in here for you. Okay. The judge who denied this order would go on to be disbarred for issues relating to misuse of her position of power during her own divorce. Oh, wow. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. So maybe not the most with it competent person in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly not one with a ton of integrity. Okay. So I tend, you know, if if she filed it and she really, and she didn't include it because she really didn't know, I can see that also. Mm -hmm. There's just so many missing pieces here. Yeah, that's interesting and upsetting. Faith also expressed, so when she left the courthouse, she said, She needed to get back home because she was scared that Green was going to lock her out of the home and that she wouldn't be able to protect the children. Oof. I feel like just being that scared should be enough to grant that order. I know. Just seeing a person that that is that scared. Yeah. So Faith would kind of start telling friends, yeah, there's some struggles and there's some problems and all of this, but she apparently never disclosed any violence or anger. She never said to a friend that she was scared of him. Mm. But also, we know people like that. Yeah, for sure. So I'm not going to say that that doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. It means almost nothing to me, honestly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when people are like, oh, well, why isn't? why didn't they ever say anything? I'm like, for a million different Because there's reasons. a billion reasons not to. Yeah. 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 So in August 2016, Faith would once again file for divorce, Mm. citing that, again, there was an increase in anger and an increase in belligerence, Mm. um, again, stopping short of saying that she didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. So that was filed in August 2016. And we are going to transplant ourselves into September 21st, 2016. Okay. Okay to the green home that is again on the 4400 block of hip street in dearborn heights Mm. the family is all home together and just a few days before um in fact the balloons were still up from celebrating kaylee's for fourth birthday um the kids are now four five seventeen and nineteen chadney had just graduated from high school with a certificate in digital media arts. And he was getting ready to study more about broadcasting and digital media production. Oh, that's cool. Kara was an honor student and a cheerleader. Hmm. She was reportedly just a genuine leader in her school, like just knew everybody, knew everything about the school. Hmm. 
She was starting to think about and apply to colleges. She wanted to be a nurse. Little Koi, the five-year-old, was outgoing and playful. She loved being the center of attention. Her mom called her Princess Koi all the time. <laughs> and Kaylee was reportedly just like a born performer. She was in ballet. She was in singing classes. Very much just loved getting the attention, too. These That's kids so sound... Sweet. They sound wonderful. Now, just like the last time, we'll never 100% know what happened to this night. Mm. Faith was knocked out, hit on the head. She blacked out and awoke in the basement of the home with her hands zip-tied behind her, bound at the ankles and tied to a chair. Yikes. She had been shot in the foot and cut across her face with a box cutter. Unbeknownst to Faith, little Koi and Kaylee were outside in the family car, which had been affixed with duct tape and piping, and they were slowly dying of carbon monoxide poisoning being pumped into the car. That's so horrible. It's so ugly. It's so disgusting. Yeah, it's really just beyond the pale. Yeah. Like all of the preparation you go through to do that, to put your little girls Mm -hmm. through that. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, so Faith is tied up in the basement. Green leads Chadney and Kara down to the basement at gunpoint, where they find their mother bound. Green forced Chadney to duct tape his sister's hands, ankles, and thighs together and force her to the floor. He then bound Chadney in a similar way and forced him to the floor, both of the children in front of their mother. He then forced Faith to watch as he executed both of the teenagers. Green then abandoned Faith in the basement with the bodies of her children. Oh my god. He went back to the car and carried the lifeless bodies of Koi and Kara from the car up to their bedroom and put them in their beds. What the hell? At 1.15 a.m., Gregory Green calls 911, confesses to the killing of his children, and asks for police to come arrest him. Wow. How close was that to when he was kind of done with everything? I don't know. It sounds like he did it in pretty short order. Yeah. It sounds like once he was done and he put the girls in their beds, he called 911. I feel like not a lot that we talk about renders me completely speechless, but that really does. I mean, that sequence of events. Yeah. How sadistic it was. Yeah. So sadistic. So ruthless, like relentless, disgusting. And it's upsetting, period. Like it's upsetting. Mm -hmm. And it's also upsetting that... There's nothing, like, particularly predictive about what happened to Tanya until you start to hear that, like, he started acting erratically. He started doing all these things. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it follows pretty much the same pattern. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to know the amount of time between the erratic behavior and when he killed Tanya. Yeah, how long that was going on for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the Tanya murder, 
has all the hallmarks of a one-time crime of passion like yeah you know and so we'll, we'll and go this, into like, it but yeah yeah this is so so thought out and so premeditated yeah it doesn't feel like the same person no like there has been a huge just sea change in that person mm-hmm. so Gregory calls 911, and when the police come, he's waiting in the driveway. Wow. Interesting that he wouldn't be in the house. Yeah. He's just chilling, waiting for them to come. Mm-hmm. And again, I just, I have the scene in my head with, like, the happy birthday balloons and yeah. everything, and it really sends chills down my spine. Yeah, it's a hard scene to think about. Mm-hmm. When police enter the house, they find Faith alive in the basement. She's immediately taken to the hospital along with the two younger girls. Mm. And although attempts, all attempts were made to save Koi and Kaylee, they would eventually pass away in the hospital. Wow. Faith would go on to experience severe PTSD. How could you not? Depression and memory loss from the traumatic brain injury. Mm. It's awful yeah what he did to her and what he did to this family it's unbelievable it really is unbelievable so once green is arrested he once again tries to plead insanity Mm. he spends several weeks being evaluated at the local hospital because again everybody is like what the fuck what just happened here he's found competent to stand trial um He would face charges for all four murders, as well as illegal possession of a firearm, gross bodily harm, and unlawful imprisonment. Mm, Okay. Now, this is the most of an explanation that we will ever get from Gregory Green. Okay. He explained that he acted because he had to punish his wife for asking for a divorce and for reportedly cheating. Wow. Interesting. I'm trying to walk that back to the comments that his mother made mm-hmm. in the earlier crime. Like, because she implied that, like, he was forced to do it or, yeah. He was provoked and he was pushed. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you wonder, like, how much of that language he heard growing up. Like, you know, if somebody hits you, you hit back. You don't, you know. And how much he was enabled and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for what it's worth and not that it matters at all, there's no evidence that Faith was cheating on him. Right, yeah. Again, not that it matters at all, but mm-hmm. I also don't want somebody's name smirched further. Yeah, for sure. He wouldn't fight the charges. Once he was declared sane, he was like, okay, these are the charges. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's like he knows. Which, he knows I mean, what that he tells did. you that much more. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, okay. I know well enough to know that there's no way around this Mm -hmm. from an evidentiary standpoint. So he would go on to accept a plea deal that actually Faith Harris had to approve the plea deal. Mm. I always, well, oh man, we talk about this a lot around here. I know. Go ahead. Yeah. He pled guilty to four counts of second degree murder, torture, felony, firearm, and assault with intent to do great bodily harm. Um, the first degree murder charges were dropped with him agreeing to that plea deal. The first degree mor- murder charges would have required a mandatory life sentence. Mm. 
Mm. Um, so instead of the mandatory life sentence, he was sentenced to 45 to 100 years, plus two consecutive years for the firearm charge. Interesting. Okay. So he would be 97 when he became eligible for parole again. Which is as good as a life sentence. Yeah, but... And I know we've talked about it before, like, Missouri, like, really loves their ridiculous sentences. Yeah. This is one of those cases where I kind of want him to have it. Yeah, and Michigan doesn't. Yeah, I mean, we, we were just having a conversation around here about, like, what is the function of all of these different things, right? Like... How much does it, quote unquote, matter that he get charged with what he did, which is first degree murder, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, I think it's just these are really worthwhile, like ethical and legal conversations to have with yourself if you have any kind of vested interest in the system at all, you know, I mean, for what it's worth after this, he will never be paroled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No way. But I want to also I want to read his statement to the court. Mm -hmm. And then I want to read Faith's impact statement. Okay. So this is Gregory Green's statement. I'm sorry this happened. God knows the heart. He knows how regretful, how sorry I am. Not one day goes by, I don't think of my girls. I pray that God be with Chadney and Kara. I feel bad how this has deeply impacted everyone. May God help them, help me, help us all. You were making some gesticulations. Yeah. Tell me about those gesticulations. I'm sorry that this happened. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have that experience when you're in like a terrible, emotionally abusive relationship? Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> not anymore, but yes. <laughs> yeah, not anymore, but like back in the day. Um, and your significant other does something terrible, and then they say, well, I'm sorry that you're upset or I'm sorry that you feel that way. Mm-hmm. That's what that feels like to me. It's like, I'm sorry that there's an impact, but I'm not going to in any way, shape or form acknowledge that I'm the impact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm sorry that this happened is like, that's what you say when somebody's bike gets stolen. Like, oh, I'm yeah, sorry that right. happened to you. You know, that's a sympathy. I'm sorry. Not an accountability. I'm sorry. So that just makes me really mad. And I feel bad. Again, I feel bad if I accidentally cut somebody in line at Starbucks. (laughs) I feel bad if I change the radio station when my husband is bopping to Collective Soul. Like, (laughs) I feel bad about those things. When you commit four homicides of children you need to feel more than bad. Mm-hmm. Good night. Again, at no point does he take responsibility. No. At no point does he express, I don't know, may God help them and help me and help us all. Like, yeah, that's... by the way, by the way, yeah. Which You're I You're really think... trying to fake it. He's really trying to fake it. Now, do you have space in your narrative to talk about Emma a little bit here? Because I feel like there's some interesting things going on with what happened to each of those different... Yes. Okay, good. Yes. So um, I feel like his lack of culpability in this is reflected in many ways in that crime scene itself. Mm -hmm. It's like, for the thing that's most striking to me is that he couldn't, with his own hands, 
kill his own blood daughters. He had to set up something that would be like a couple of steps removed, which feels Mm -hmm. to me like a way of saying, well, I didn't actually do it. I just made it possible for it to happen. I thought that too. I was like, so he can, in his mind, rationalize, I did not Mm -hmm. kill my daughters. Right. And also, I'm guessing he knew that that's going to be a pretty painless death. Yes, yes. And he didn't do it where he could see them. Mm-hmm. That to me was striking too, just the fact that like that would be. And so I was surprised to hear that he went back to get them and put them in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, which like you often hear that kind of thing, like, you know, redressing a victim after an assault or um, like staging a victim in like a rest like state. Mm-hmm. We often hear that correlated with a, a degree of care. Yeah. You know, like there's there's care involved in that. So it's just it's interesting if all those things are happening at once, like the care, but also the requirement that there be a few degrees of removal between, you mm-hmm. know, his physical actions and what happened to them. Mm-hmm. All of that speaks to me to his cowardice, you know, the putting them back into bed feels like he's trying to undo it in his mm-hmm. mind. Yeah. Like, no, they're just sleeping. It's fine. Right. They're just sleeping. And then you contrast that with how vicious mm-hmm. what he did to Chadney and Kara. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where I was going next. Like, I feel like with the girl, the little girls, the other angle, like the darker, well, it's not darker. They're all dark. The other angle is that you could conceivably try to frame that as a household accident like Mm -hmm. I was doing all this stuff in the basement and then we happen to have a a carbon monoxide leak um, which is obviously ridiculous but but he took the time to like duct tape and affix the piping from the Mm -hmm. exhaust but then yeah you contrast that with the brutality and the just like visceralness of what he did to the other kids mm-hmm. that were not his blood relation. Like that to me feels like the distinction. It feels like in a way he was trying to kill Faith without killing Faith. Yeah. Like he he broke her irreparably yeah. by doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, many people would say that what happened to her, surviving it was worse than not surviving it, you know? Like I could... Yeah. I could hear somebody saying that, you know. I can hear her telling herself that in moments of weakness. Yeah. 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 I'm certainly not saying that, but I could I could hear her saying that to herself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like he wanted to, yeah, he wanted to break her. Like he wanted to completely destroy her. It feels really sadly enough that the kids were collateral damage for him to be able to hurt Faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're also just interesting departures from his previous MO with Tanya. Like, mm-hmm. this is somebody that has now killed people in three different ways, three very different ways. Mm-hmm. That speaks to a degree of detachment in a way, too, to me. Like, he's not particularly attached to a particular manner of doing things. Yeah. He's not concerned with his own comfort zone. Like, I mm-hmm. think if you're worried about, like, your own abilities, you do the same thing you've done before because you know it's worked. Mm-hmm. So he's not somebody who's worried about his own abilities. And there's that narcissism in there as well. It's like, I know this is going to work, so I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. So, like, I'm always thinking, like, diagnostically, I'm like, what the hell is going on with this guy? Mm-hmm. You can kind of chalk up 
the murder of Tanya as like a period of explosion and a period of, you know, a single crime of passion. Mm-hmm. And like we've been talking about, like this is so thought out, so planned out. You needed materials to do this. You needed yeah. everybody to be in the right place to do this. Yeah. So especially with like two teenagers, they're so busy. Mm-hmm. Especially and- as active as it sounded like Kara was like. And Chadney Allen was not a small teenager. Like, you saw the picture of him. He's. I thought that was Gregory Green. Like, he was like a grown man. Mm -hmm. But when you have two teenagers at gunpoint, then. Yeah, you've got psychological control, and then you don't need physical control. Yeah. Yeah, it's just. He was trying to break time, or he was trying to break faith. And that's the worst part about this. Yeah. It is. It really is the worst part. So let me read Faith's impact statement. This is just a snippet of it, but it is available online and it's Mm -hmm. very, very powerful. Okay. She says, you are a con artist. You are a monster. You are a devil in disguise. You are now forever exposed. Not even torture and death would be justice. Mm -hmm. Your justice will come when you burn in hell for all eternity murdering four innocent children all because you're insecure oof I mean every word of that is true every every word of it is true she made a statement that you tried to break me and you didn't and you failed good girl mm-hmm. the Harris family has made very few statements to the press mm. Faith Harris has attempted to do a few public speaking interviews and things like that, even starting off with smaller ones in her church. And the few that she, she's had to cancel a few, like very last minute, just because she can't get herself together. Yeah. The other ones that I've seen that she has done, she is really, really struggling. Like I said, PTSD and memory loss and depression and you know, waking up every day is a fight for her. And I just really, really wish her the best. Yeah, I couldn't imagine doing that. So even the attempt feels Herculean. Mm-hmm. Chadney Allen Sr., so um, the two older kids, their father, mm-hmm. he's spoken out. He said he did not know anything about Green's history. It was never shared with him. And obviously saying that he wish he knew. Yeah. He obviously like would have wanted to protect his kids. Yeah. Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy. Yes, Kim Worthy. <laughs> her so much. I am such a fan. Uh, she is such a badass. Ugh. She called the case an appalling level of domestic violence that was cataclysmic. Mm. She called for increased education about domestic violence, especially the times when it's not obvious, especially yeah. the times when it's subtle when it's emotional when it's coercive control when it's hidden Mm -hmm. she has really like done that fucking work to be like we need to do better with domestic violence she has done all kinds of wonderful work yeah (sighs) Um, so here's the other thing that's like bothering me a little bit is like mm -hmm. this happened and somebody like gregory green feels very anomalous right like Mm -hmm. so like i wouldn't want fred harris to feel like this was his fault 
That was the next thing I was going to talk about. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. He hasn't spoken to the press, but I agree. I don't. I think Fred Harris was a man who really had a mission in life. His family had a mission and they they believe in redemption and Mm -hmm. recovery after incarceration. And it, it hurts that I feel like this is going to overshadow the good work that he did. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think for every one Gregory Green, there's, you know, a few thousand people that could be decarcerated and rehabilitated without incident, you know? Yeah. Even for a a terrible, violent crime of passion, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's obviously not what happened here. But yeah, you wouldn't want that to be the black mark on the idea of rehabilitation, you know? And I certainly wouldn't want that to mar Fred Harris's good work otherwise. Yeah. Like, you couldn't see this coming. Like, No, no, nobody saw this coming. Yeah. Nobody saw this coming. And I mean, were there things that could have been done, like granting the order of protection, and mm-hmm. things like that? Yes. Um, or somebody disclosing that history to Faith. But, you know, it also like it wasn't and this is assuming that she didn't know, like it wasn't her dad's responsibility to do that. It was Gregory Green's responsibility to disclose his own past to her. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But knowing what we know about him now, we know that never would have happened. Right. And he probably had, and she called him a con artist, which also mm-hmm. implies to me that she didn't know. So That's what I think, too. Yeah. I'm sure he had a very good, like, manufactured history of his life that led him to, you know, meet her and everything like that. That's probably very normal sounding. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, that's, I have a couple of other, like, little bullet points, but... I don't know. I think my big takeaway is that, like, I feel like it is very easy to blame the Harris family and especially Fred Harris. Mm -hmm. But like we've been talking about, like, he dedicated his life to a very legitimate cause. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just not fair to blame him. And I just hope that he's found a way to not blame himself because I feel like that's what, you know, that's what any person would do is blame Mm -hmm. themselves, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I just hope that he's found a way to still see the other good he's done. Yeah. I hope that she finds some level of peace. Yeah. I sure hope so, too. I sure hope so, too. I also, like, you know, you never really know what goes on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. You also never really know what the right thing to say is if you feel like somebody that you know is in a situation of domestic abuse or domestic yeah. violence. Yeah. So I don't know what else to say other than to, you know be tuned in and you know I think I think often if we have a worry about something going on with a friend or a loved one we have a good reason to be worried yeah and I think that we it's very easy for us to kind of to rationalize like they're fine if they were in trouble they would say something yeah and I hope that people will say something and we can kind of destigmatize it a little bit like if you need help ask for help um but also if you think your friend needs help offer it (laughs) yeah and I think that um you know in many ways like like having gone through a divorce that was like relatively harmonious and Mm -hmm. civil even that was like 
I was stigmatized for that. I lost friends over that. I lost somebody that I thought would be my best friend forever over that. That's you know, not my U level best friend, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Um, we don't even count as friends anymore. Like <laughs> something other, but like. I think the fear of the social fallout of any kind of negativity in your relationship, in mm-hmm. your marriage, like, and it's different, like marriage versus relationship, I think in, in that way that there's like, now there's this like legal and societal label on it that makes it that much harder to, you know, speak about anything bad going on. Like, mm-hmm. I can imagine like the social stigma that I felt going through like a very reasonable divorce completely pales in comparison to the fear that somebody would feel admitting to a much more serious situation you know yeah yeah it's a hard thing to talk about because I think that especially in a long-term relationship or a marriage your friends aren't necessarily just your friends they're the other person's too yeah it's all shared and I think that that is really what kind of compounds the difficulty of that situation totally yeah because now you're risking like somebody else's relationship with that person mm-hmm. and not to mention i think that it, it it varies based on the culture and yeah for sure i mean this <sighs> feels like a good time to make a plug for resources mm. you know if if somebody ever feels like they need them the national domestic abuse hotline obviously, or domestic violence hotline, I should say, uh, obviously has a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-799-SAFE. But there's also like online chat that you can Mm -hmm. do um, if you're not able to make a phone call. And just to know that, you know, those resources are out there. You know me. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what I'm going to do. Yes. Good call, friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I brought you down on this one. Yeah, there's not a happy ending on that one at all. Um, but, you know, we can hope that Faith finds comfort and that the Harris family finds comfort in that which comforts them, which is their faith. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take those resources and do yeah. with them what you need. Exactly. We're here for you. We're family now. Heck, we're the mid-wretched family. Totally. I love that. <laughs> See, you're just as mushy as I am. Aw, don't tell anybody. Okay, I won't. We definitely won't put it on air. No, I'm or cutting like all of this. Air. You forget that I edit. That's, I don't forget that, actually. Trust me. Because <laughs> <laughs> you do such a good job, and it plays right down the lane of your skill sets, and I'm just so appreciative for that. <laughs> so. It makes noises visual, and I like it. Yeah, that is so you. you. I love that. I love that. <sighs> anyway, should we should we segue into next week? Yeah, let's do that. So uh, next week, interesting week. It's going to be a little bit of a different week for me than what I've been doing lately. Um, we will be getting into the world of mass murderer Richard Speck. <gasps> I'm so excited for this. It's very, very, very fascinating. So we will be talking about, I mean, this man. And so I'm not spinning it like a mystery where it's going to be a profile of Richard Speck. We're looking at somebody who um, was a rapist and a torturer and a murderer of eight um, in Chicago in the 1960s. So we're just bouncing 
between your home and mine. Yeah. I feel like Speck is another one of those that like back in the day he was like all over everything, but we don't hear as much about him anymore. Exactly, exactly. And it's going to involve um, a conversation around something that I get really geeky about, which is rare genetic disorders. So (gasps) I'm very excited. That's so exciting. I love rare genetic disorders. Me too. It's fascinating, right? Anyway, so come back next week to hear about that. Uh, Don't forget to participate in our giveaway, which you will find on Facebook and Instagram, where we are at MidWretched. We're loving you guys. Like, we do love you guys. You're awesome. Yeah, it's just been so great, and um, we're just glad that we're, you know, able to to keep doing this. So, yeah, yeah thanks yeah. for being here, and thanks for coming back. Yeah. Um, write nice reviews of us. Yeah. Um, say nice things. Be good to each other. Keep wearing your mask, please. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And if you can get vaccinated, then get vaccinated. Hell yes. We got to hit that 80, 80% threshold. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And don't be afraid of any of them. They're all good. They're all good. Yes. All right. Should we do the okay. thing? Should we do the let's goodbye do the thing? thing? Yeah, let's do the goodbye thing. All mm-hmm. right, you guys. Well, this case um, was really devastating, but... In some ways, I just hope that, um, you know, to that we can all kind of keep a space in our consciousness today, this week, you know, whenever for those um, Koi that lost their lives. And Kaylee and Kara and Chadney. Chadney, yeah. And Tanya. And, Faith. and Tanya and her mm-hmm. baby. So please just keep a space in your heart for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so be nice. And eat cheese. Lot of and we love you. We oh, love you. We love you. <laughs> love, love, love. Love, love, love. It's like, what half of a labia do you want covered? <laughs> Choose wisely. <laughs> like, it's just not happening. <laughs> I hate them so so much. much.